fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. It's here. We're here already, ready to do this thing. Let's do it, baby. Welcome into the show. It's a midweek celebration. I know it's hard. It's a hard week. We're back at it after the shortened week that was last week. But hey, we're here for you. Let's carpe diem out all over this place, baby. Let's energize it. Let's inject your day full of some adrenaline, some excitement, some intensity. That's what we do on this show each and every day. Welcome in broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the program, always great to have you along for the ride. Your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. Holy cow. Do we have a lot to talk about? I don't know really what direction to start today, to be honest. There's uh, there's a few different stories I have up on my browser, and I'm just kind of picking and choosing here. What I did find interesting is that, not interesting but sad, is have you seen the pictures coming out of New York City from the toxic air from the wildfires coming out of Canada floating down? They're actually kind of creepy. Like, you see the setting of a movie that looks like a zombie apocalypse or a post-apocalyptic type of society. That's kind of what those pictures look like right now. Very orange, very covered in the smoke, hard to breathe. It increased people showing up, obviously, to the emergency rooms with uh, lung issues, breathing issues. It's very sad. It's very scary. Not a whole lot we can do about it while they battle the wildfires up in Canada other than assist them to put out the wildfires. But it happens. And... The reason it's making the news, not only is it because it looks really bad and it's really bad for the city of New York City, but it's not really a normal thing for that portion of the country, isn't it? Usually it's on the western portion of the country. It's a big thing in California and in Utah and in Idaho and some of those areas where there's more rural community, a lot more open areas and a lot more drought conditions where we're used to battling these sorts of things. Kind of a a new concept for New York. Now, there's a couple takeaways from this. Uh, is I've noticed, and this is not new knowledge for us, this is just kind of a reawakening, a reimagining, a remembering for us of the fact that Democrats love to push the whole agenda of do as I say, but not as I do. The feel as we tell you to feel, live as we tell you to do, but not necessarily as we live our own personal lives. We have a different set of standards between what we do as the quote-unquote elites in society and what the normal common folk, Joe Schmoke, truck driver every day, go to work nine to five type of person does on a daily basis. Very different rules between the two categories or societies, is there not? And it's really point in case with this smoke issue in New York right now, because while the progressives that predominantly live in the more populated areas, right? I mean, you look at the voting demographics, the registered voters in rural communities across the nation, mostly Republican in the inner cities, populated areas, predominantly Democrat. And there's a reason for that is because we have completely different lifestyles. And usually it's not that big of an issue. But when it comes to some policy issues, environmentalists being one of them, there's a vast difference to where the progressives, while they tout these environmental movements, have very little understanding of what we have to deal with in rural communities. Now, again, I'm based out of Wichita, Kansas. I'm in quote-unquote flyover country. I'm in a city. It's the largest city in the state of Kansas, outside of Kansas City, that's considered Missouri. But... At the same time, it's still relatively small. 
overall, there's, what, a half million people, 600,000 people, I think, here in the city of Wichita. So it's a relatively smaller city compared to other bigger cities across the nation. And we still get that impact and that big, drastic lack of understanding between rural communities and larger populated areas. Here's what I mean. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, our favorite person in the world as we talk about our What's Trending story of the day. What's trending today? And as she tries to tout her stupid ideas of liberalism and socialism and everything else that she tries to tout that seems to be popular for about 3% of the population and the rest of it, the Democrat Party just kind of goes along with it with the blinders on, hoping that she goes away at some point. And Republicans just openly laugh at her because she's our low-hanging fruit where we get to make fun of her and enjoy making fun of her because, well, it's very easy to do. With the ongoing smoke issue in New York City has come out and made a statement reaffirming that this is why we need climate change initiatives and we need what she says the hashtag Green New Deal. Here's what she said on a tweet earlier today. Because uh, between New York City and wildfire smoke and this NPR, it bears repeating how unprepared we are to follow uh, we are for the climate crisis. <laughs> we must adapt our food system, energy grids, infrastructure, healthcare, etc. ASAP to prepare for what's to come and catch up to what already is in society. Now, this is, again, this is the same one who had no clue what a garbage disposal was because here's the kicker for you and here's the grand uh, newsflash for AOC and some of the other progressives that some other people live their lives in different ways. I, I know that's a very challenging concept for some, especially the ones that are in the cancel culture. If you think differently, if you feel differently, if you believe differently, then that's very triggering to some because how dare you do that? You're probably the most horrible human being on the face of the earth and you're all going to die because we hate you so much. So that's, <laughs> that is the mindset from the other side of the aisle. So when something else happens that they're not normal, normally used to, something like the fires that are going on in Canada, blowing the massive smoke down into the New York area, the rest of the country is like, wow, that sucks because we see the orange smoke. We see how bad it is to breathe in. It's one of the most toxic air um, environments in the world right now because of how bad this is. We're not taking away from that in any way, shape, or form. Here's the kicker. New York City, you've caused that. That's on you for making the smoke come down. Not that part. But when the smoke did come down, of exacerbating that situation, of amplifying that situation. It would be bad already nonetheless. But guess what? There are many parts of the country that are used to that because of the drought conditions and wildfires that we are prepared for most of the year across many portions of this great nation. It's just a matter of fact. It's nature. It's what happens. It gets warm outside. We have a relatively dry season in certain areas. And then fires start, and voila. That's why in Kansas and in Nebraska and in Oklahoma and parts of Texas and Wyoming and Colorado and many flatland areas, there are controlled burns where we burn certain portions of land to where if a wildfire breaks out, then there's a barrier. And that's where they don't spread any further. And guess what? Even during the controlled burns where we do it intentionally to prevent wildfires from running rampant and burning down crazy towns all over the place, there's still really bad air pollutants and really bad conditions for you to breathe in. In fact, we have warnings to be told not even to go outside if you don't have to because of how bad the air is at times because of these wildfires. But it's something new to New York. It's something newer-ish to that area especially. 
And because it's something relatively new, the progressives who can't think outside of their own little living box and their own living, uh, their own ideology, they don't understand, wow, this goes on in other places. Maybe we should do something about our pollutants here in New York City. Instead, they try to promote something like the Green New Deal, saying that because New York has a problem, the rest of the country must have a problem as well. And it's fascinating, while they say, live as we tell you to, do as we say, not as we do, but feel the way we should as well, live as we tell you to, not as we do, because we have our gated communities while we tell you not to drive really fancy cars and get on airplanes, but we have our private jets because that's really bad for the environment, so you can't fly, but we can take our private jet to go and tell you not to get on that airplane. This is the AOC mentality now of, wow, there's smoke in New York. We need to do environmental stuff and Green New Deals right now because look how bad it is in New York where she lives and where all the progressives have been touting environmental practices for years and yet they have some of the worst in the entire country and the globe right now that's been exacerbated by the smoke. But if they didn't have the smoke, they still have smog. San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York City, all the largely populated areas where they're trying to push these quote-unquote Green New Deal initiatives are the worst at them. It's funny that happens in every issue. You talk about Second Amendment issues. Oh, we need to get rid of guns. The largest places with gun crimes are the large cities where they've gotten rid of firearms and so on and so forth. That's the agenda they've pushed because they don't understand. There's a massive barrier in living understandings between the rural communities and the larger cities, which reinforces my concept of when we go into election season, uh, we really need to start focusing on how to implement electoral colleges at a statewide level in all these states, because while the populated areas consume the vast majority of the votes for a statewide election, they only represent a very small portion compared to the counties and districts across the state, really any state, that is vast, uh, that is predominantly uh, rural living and small town living, uh, small town USA. But yet they don't care. Let's look at the immigration issue in California. They've claimed to be the sanctuary state for illegal immigrants. We want everybody to live here. We're totally cool. We want everyone to be here. You can't come in. In fact, we've had the district attorneys and the attorney generals in California booting out ICE officers from trying to find the cards to make sure that workers at certain facilities are actually there legally. They've booted them out because they said, you don't have a search warrant. You're not allowed to be here. Get the hell out. We don't want you here to hell with the federal government. That's the mindset they've had in California, but at the same time, now we see the story out of Sacramento where they're investigating on why there's planes of immigrants from the southern border right now being landed there and are they being taken here wrongly against their will and being ill-informed about where they're actually going. (laughs) So wait a second. Wouldn't you be welcoming them with opening arms? Be like, you know what? We, we weren't planning for this, but cool. Come on in. We love you to death. Come on. We have everything ready for you. Our doors are wide open. We'll take care of you. No. In fact, they're saying, well, we actually need to, uh, to take you to churches. With the churches are like, we're totally overwhelmed. We don't have the resources to handle this stuff. And now the city of Sacramento losing their mind over the amount of immigrants that are coming there because they don't know what to do with them. New York taking it to an entirely another level as well outside of the smog issue. They're having the immigrant issue, too, where the mayor, Eric Adams, says we should maybe start housing them in private citizens' homes. It is my vision uh, to take the next step to this, to go to the faith-based uh, locales, and then move to uh, private residents. 
Uh, there are residents who are suffering right now because of economic challenges. They have spare rooms. Uh, they have locales. And if we can find a way to get over the 30-day rule and other rules that government has in, in its place, we can take that $4.2 billion, $4.3 it may be now, that we potentially would have to spend, and we can put it back in the pockets of everyday New Yorkers. <laughs> I love how they try to play capitalist. Hey, uh, we're running out of resources. We don't know where to put these people. In fact, we're booking up complete hotels, and hotels have no more spaces left. We're running out of taxpayer money to do this. So instead of using up hotels that are for tourists and for the elites to come in and actually you know, promote their socialist agenda about how we need to open up borders more, instead of doing that, we should probably start housing them in private citizens' homes and paying private citizens. So that way, instead of paying the evil, greedy capitalist corporations to house these individuals, we should pay local individuals because they're really, really hurting while they're freaking out about what to do with them because we continue to bust them up to areas where they're not supposed to be. Again, you should take them rural communities. You should take them fly over America, anywhere between Ohio and Indiana, all the way out to Utah and Nevada, this entire center of the country where they want to try and change the, the dynamics and the voting electoral colleges, the electoral system in these areas. We want you to take them because you need to. The border cities that are in Texas and Arizona and other places trying to deal with this issue, you need to take them. We don't know what to do with them here in Sacramento. We don't know what to do with them here in the city of New York City. We don't know how to handle this. How dare you fly them to us? Again, you need to live the way we tell you to, not as we live ourselves. There's a big divide here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Welcome back into the program. So the governor of New York, by the way, is trying to do a press conference or will be doing a press conference or just finished. I just saw the headline on Fox. If she does regarding the air quality in New York City, we'll go to that here momentarily and see what she has to say about it. It's interesting, again, that uh, they tried to impose their will of the environmental movement onto us when they're the ones that are having the issues. Uh, we always say that when progressives and Democrats want something done, they want to change something, they want to reform something, they want to fundamentally change it. You just got to look in the mirror on what they're actually trying to promote themselves. AOC, not the brightest crayon in the box, is advocating for this Green New Deal after the smog in New York. Why? Because she doesn't understand this happens naturally and normally across the rest of the world and the rest of the country, but because it's happening in her territory now, and yes, being amplified by their bad environmental policies on their own, then she has to make it a big deal for a nationwide movement. See, this is what progressives are really, really good at, and this is what Republicans need to be aware of, is they find an idea or a topic and they simplify it based on some local story and then grow it and blow it up out of proportion into a national ordeal when it doesn't need to be. Things are handled the best at a micro level, are they not? Things are handled best at a state level, maybe even a county level or a city level. They can handle it. It doesn't need to be, oh, there was a shooting in New York City. We need to have gun control everywhere. It's not the way things work. 
you just need to address that. And, oh, by the way, you've done a really good job of that, trying to ban firearms across the city of New York and Chicago and Washington, D.C. and L.A. and San Francisco and everywhere else on the larger populated areas where all the crimes seem to actually be. What a concept. But this new Green Deal stuff, uh, which they already have the majority of it, if you realize, there are two ways that they are controlling and centralizing power at the federal level right now, and that is through environmental tactics, and that is through the social LGBTQ tactics. We've talked about the uh, the ESG quite a bit, the centralization through the wokeness of the government, the AI wokeness of the government to allow businesses to continue to operate, but the other side of it is through environmentalism. I'm going to take over and control your business if you manufacture something, if you transport something, if you produce something, and if you sell something. We will make sure that you are environmentally green across the board so that way you're not, quote-unquote, harming the environment, which I did find. Here's an I found an interesting study, and this even blew my mind. I was not aware of this. It kind of makes sense, although I still support it, but there's a piece out of The Guardian, out of all places, saying, is eating local produce actually better for the planet? Because, as you know, the other science says we need to get rid of all the manufacturing plants. We need to grow things local, which I support. Obviously, you, need to, you probably need to have a garden in, the, in your backyard or even some things growing in a, in a uh, pot in your house. I get that. Totally beneficial. It does save you from going and needing to go get things. It makes you more independent. But now there's actually a turning in that tide, which I'm not sure how environmentalists are going to try and play into this. But there's a turning in the tide saying that according to their studies from the Food Miles Report, the dangers of long-distance food transport out of the United Kingdom, saying that it's actually more environmentally friendly to mass-produce food in one location and then transport it to where it needs to be. <laughs> I That's strange. I know. It's very strange. But they say that it's actually more green. It's greener, more green. And it's more environmentally friendly to transport the food because it actually causes less carbon emissions to transport the food where it needs to go and being produced in one singular area as opposed to everybody trying to buy soil and trying to buy, like, what is it, Miragrow or whatever the hell it's called, the, the, the food plant that you buy and all the stuff to get the pots and all the stuff to build the boxes for the gardens in your backyard. And actually, it's actually greener for the environment for corporations to mass produce and transport it. There's less of a carbon emission than you trying to do it yourself. Now, I still advocate for you to do it yourself because to hell with trying to rely on somebody else and wanting to be a little more independent. But that kind of shoves that right in the face of the progressives who are saying, hey, we need to produce locally because evil corporations are ruining the environment. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason Meets Radio. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Reason, common sense, rationale. That's what we're all about here on the program. Always wonderful to have you along for the ride on a midweek today. By the way, programming note for you, those that like to watch the show on the video streams, my computer froze and uh, the video stream seemed to end on all the sites. So we'll try and refresh that, get it up before the end of the show. If not, don't worry about it. We're back at it again here soon you can always obviously listen to it on the radio wherever radio station that you're on and our podcasts and a heck of a lot more so got a lot to get to welcome in 
Also, one more programming note for you. Mon- today's Wednesday. Yeah, right. Yeah, Monday is a very, very big announcement we got to talk about on the show. So uh, some really exciting stuff. As you know, we've been working really hard behind the scenes and something really cool is happening. So we will be announcing that on Monday. You're not going to want to miss that one in any way, shape, or form as well. All right, let's get into what's trending today. What do you say? What's trending today? Let's shift gears just a bit. As you know, we just passed a massive debt ceiling bill at the federal level with was just massive more spending, all the pet projects and political uh, shenanigans that go on up there. But uh, is that the lead example of how we should be handling our own personal finances? As you know, Americans uh, love to consume our own debts. We have mortgage rates, which I saw uh, earlier today, I just saw a story that mortgages were actually down by a couple, one or one, one and a half percent uh, week over week and month over month because number one, there's a shortage of houses, and number two, interest rates are still way too high. People don't want to be buying housing, which is good, at least for being somewhat smart on that front. But do you know how much money the average in, or just Americans as a whole, the private consumer sector actually owes in debt? And that's like all debts, mortgages and credit cards and auto loans. $17 trillion. Yeah, $17 trillion. It's a bit of a hefty sum. The vast majority of it is credit cards and health care, uh, which is an issue that we need to address. But to talk about that, financial literacy, where are we in the country? Are we aware of how to handle finances properly? Are we teaching financial literacy? And how can we work our way to get out of debt? Excited to have on the program. She is the author of the book, You Can Make It. It's Dr. Anita Smith with us. Anita, how are you today? I'm fine, Andy. How you doing? I am great. It's great to I'm have here. Yeah, it's great to have you on the program. It's it's good to chat with you. What an interesting uh it's fascinating the fact that how much debt we actually have as a whole right now from consumers in the private sector. And uh it's gonna be a while for us to get out of it because it seems like for most Americans we don't even want to get out of debt. We like to live on credit cards and stuff, don't we? Yes, and I think that is not a good thing to live on credit alone due to the $17 trillion debt that we're facing right now. I know mainly it's due to inflation, and some of it is due to auto loans, student loans, retail credit cards, mortgages, and home equity lines of credit. Mm. Some of those things, you know, we have to, we can't get away from the mortgage home equity lines of credit, but retail credit cards, I think that we can shift our focus and only save up for those things. We don't necessarily have to go into a store and buy the latest shoes or the latest clothing items, you know, save for a rainy day when we are going through such a debt crisis right now in America. Do you think that this is getting worse with on a generational basis? Uh, obviously, the, the older generations understood that a little bit. They use credit cards uh, nonetheless, but maybe the younger generation. I'm 34. I'm part of the millennials, and our generation, we love to get the latest fad. We love to use credit cards, and no one taught us, at least no one taught me, to not use student <laughs> loans and other things because I'm still working on paying off my $50,000 of student loan payment that's not going to go away anytime soon. The millennials have a lot to learn. They are the type that they don't want to save up for it. They want to buy it right now. If a pair, like my daughter, for instance, she's a teenager. If she sees a $200, $200 Air Jordan or New Balance, she wants to get it. 
even though she have a job right now, I said, okay, is this a need or a want? You can go to this particular store and get the same type of feel in the shoe. It doesn't have to be a Jordan or New Balance. Mm. What is the purpose? So she follows people on Instagram and, and look at the latest trend, look at the latest fashion, and want to go out there and get in a lot of debt. So yeah. I have to teach her, you know, what is it, a need or a want? It's a great way to put it. I love that. Is it a need or a want? And uh, I have a nine-year-old daughter. We like to teach her, is this a red light or green light decision? So when she gets older on the finances, is it a need or a want? And why are you buying something like this? Why do you think that my generation especially, why do you think they don't want to save? And we live for the quote-unquote moment. I know my generation actually travels and goes on vacation more than any other generation as well. And instead of saving and putting money away for a rainy day, we're just like, yeah, I want to go to Rome this weekend. Why the hell not? Why is that? Is it is it because we haven't been taught, or is it just because we like to live in the day? Because I believe your generation likes to live in the day. Even if you are, if your generation is taught about financial literacy, they feel that they still have years to do the things that they want to do, such as focus on retirement. Right now, they're focusing on having a good time, bending above their means, and then at the end of the day, they have to reach back out to a parent or a grandparent for help. And then that causes problems because the grandparents or the parents may be saving up for their retirement. And then they have to dip into their funds and help their child or their daughter out yeah. of their financial crisis. Poor financial decisions can lead to, you know, spiraling financial decisions in their older age if not dealt with properly in the millennial years. Yeah, I am so glad you brought that up because I saw that same stat that right now one in four, one in five millennials still have their parents, even at the age of 30 plus, paying for at mm-hmm. least one of their monthly bills on a monthly basis. That's insane. Like we, I, I To me, I mean, I, I don't. I take care of my own finances. I have my own family. I do my own thing because I wanted my independence. But to think that still right. one in five Adults at 30 years old still have their parents at 50 or 60 years old paying for one of their bills on a monthly basis. I don't think we've ever been in a situation like that before. No, and it causes a lot of hardship and headache on the parents or the grandparents because they have to, they can't even enjoy their retirement life. They may have to go work at a McDonald's at night or Walmart as a greeter. When they were planning in their early years to retire and enjoy themselves and go on vacations, now, you know, they have this burden of a child who did not, let's just say, financial irresponsibility. They didn't think it through of their bad decisions would affect their parents or grandparents in the long run. Yeah. Do you think, and I know you, we, you kind of touched on it already, the financial literacy, we could teach it all we want to, but it, being making it mandatory, let's say, in public schools to be able to graduate high school, or if we're going to have these ridiculous amounts of uh, classes at your freshman and sophomore years of college, making a financial literacy class mandatory to have certain amount of credits to understand and even start implementing them in ways of saying, hey, uh, having a school-run bank account or something, just to get that understanding of what it's actually going to take to live and for you to prepare appropriately would that help at all yes i believe that helps a lot because that is one of my goals to go into the high schools in my area and to speak with the principals and see if 
they would allow me to come in and teach this program to yeah. the high school students or the middle school students. I believe that will help a great deal. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Anita Smith. She's author of the book, You Can Make It. Let's talk about higher education for a second and the student loans. One of the issues which everybody uses as an excuse for the reason that my generation and others have so much debt is because of the uh, the student loan issue, which is a major one. Obviously, with my $50,000 a, a year, uh, how much that I owe, it really consumes a lot of my paycheck to pay for that on a monthly basis. So there is less expendable cash to actually have affordable living but is that the entire excuse or like you said, or is there also moments of that you only live once mentality? So I'm only I'm going to try and live the day even with all my debts. I'm just not going to save up for my rent apartment this this month. That should not be an excuse. They should focus on calling the student loan creditor and getting a deferment. If they're not able to pay for it right now, get it deferred for six months, get it deferred for 12 months. If they're not able to do that, ask them for a payment plan that is within their budget, not exceeding their budget. They should also save up for the rent and focus on what are my essential bills, rent, transportation, food, and everything else, you know, work it into the budget. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, one of the other major bills or debts, I guess, in the nation is health care and the health industry with the individuals getting sick. And we can discuss the health care politics, the insurance companies, all that. But at the end of the day, what do you recommend for those that may have those health issues to try and limit the amount of times they have to file for medical bankruptcy or to rack up that massive amount of health care debt to where they just can't survive? I recommend if they cannot survive, focus on going to a health clinic and getting the free Medicare plan or or the free coverage from the health health agencies. They have some programs out there that can help people if they're not able to afford the bill, the medical bill. Yeah. It's great opportunities. Dr. Anita Smith It's the author of the book, You Can Make It. You can go and check it out on Amazon and other places as well. We're out of time, my friend. Anita, keep up the fight, though. Let's educate these young generations. Let's try and get rid of this debt issue. What do you say? Absolutely. I agree to it as well. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. I really enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. We'll get you back on and talk about it again here real soon. I love the conversation, especially trying to uh, focus on the younger generation and getting them in their mindset to not rack up the debts and live like oh i don't know the federal government all right we got to take a break when we come back we got one more segment we'll wrap up the show today talk about some of this and a heck of a lot more here on a wednesday for the voice reason stay here this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier for freedom every day the voice of reason with andy hoosier do i do it i don't i don't know if i do it do i tee it up why the hell not let's go ahead and tee it up it's going to take up the majority of the rest of the program here but she set it up perfectly for us with our latest guest dr anita smith the book you can make it the millennial generation having more debt than ever before living for the day but not yet being financially responsible and still having mommy and daddy take care of their bills really sets the stage for this does it not By the way, you can help out one day with me. And 
the speaker that day was, um, was different. I just sat there with tears in my eyes, learning about this ministry that was revolutionizing the planet. I'm talking, of course, about Millennial International. The need is enormous. There are over 10 million millennials out there who have graduated with no work ethic, no job, no discernible skills at all, and they have expenses. Housing. Student loans. Credit card debt. And I didn't really realize the magnitude of the problem until I looked into the eyes of a millennial. And I saw that face with the, the dead, nothing's happening up here kind of thing. So I went out to the booth after the service and I talked with the guy and he really informed me about the devastation that's not being able to fund a millennial lifestyle. Core Power Yoga. Birch Box for Men. I looked over all the envelopes and my heart was really touched when I saw this one particular fellow that I, I just had to get more information about him. He was uh, Declan from Beverly Hills. I am an uh, aspiring photographer. I graduated college with an art degree, so obviously that puts me at a disadvantage. Volkswagen Jetta lease. Beard wax. Spotify premium. In his last letter, he wrote to me and said that his uh, weekend was, oh, how did he put it? Um, totes lit fam. Literally have no idea what that means. Spin cycle membership. Pet food for my rescue dog. Uber's home from a pub crawl. A typical sponsorship program costs $29 a month. Millennial International is actually $2,900 a month. Yeah, it seems expensive at first, but when you see the need, it is so worth it. Trunk Club subscription. Essential oils. Annual pilgrimage to Bethel Church. It's the same as a traditional sponsorship program, uh, except instead of getting, say, a soccer ball for his birthday, he's getting an Audi. Am I capable of having a job? Sure, but I just feel like Maybe employment right now would just kind of be stifling my creativity. Through the sponsorship program, they actually set up a chance for us to meet each other in person. I brought him an apple pie that my wife had baked for him, but I totally forgot he's gluten-free, so we couldn't eat it. I mean, obviously I've seen Food Inc., so I don't eat the traditional meals like everybody else. For breakfast, I usually do like some kombucha juice. He really didn't have much energy that week, and it turns out you know, he was on a juice cleanse. And I wanted to respect that. My wish for Declan? <laughs> Uh, that he would realize his potential in life, that he would be better, achieve more. I've been getting blue ribbons and participation trophies my whole life. What do you expect? For me, if it wasn't for the program, I'd have to get a job. Or worse, start a GoFundMe. Many of these kids in traditional sponsorship programs are fighting diseases like malaria, pneumonia, tuberculosis. And these millennials have the same struggle, peanut allergies pollen sensitivity, lactose intolerance. Kids in Africa are getting typhoid. Declan was recently diagnosed with tennis elbow. I was originally paying vision and eye care insurance for him, but it turns out his eyeglasses weren't even real. To me, you can't put a price on friendship. Join me in sponsoring a millennial today and help us. Help us. Help us. Help us live the lives we portray on Instagram.
I'm telling you, you're more than welcome to sign up at Millennial International. Uh, you'll find the voice of reason on there as well. And there, you can fund us all you want to that way. And therefore, we can get our avocado lattes because that's going to be. I'm t- I cannot live without it. That's a that's a joke, by the way. For those that Andy, what have you turned? That's a joke. But that's the mindset. Here's the good news: the generation behind is looking at us and saying, "The hell, man! What is wrong with you?" And maybe they'll be a little bit more financially savvy and uh, moving forward if we allow them to be and if we're smart enough to educate them before it gets out of hand. All right, that does it for us today. There was so much more we wanted to talk about. There are a few things that I haven't talked about specifically this week because, well, we want to spend enough time for that, which we'll do tomorrow. Got a big one lined up for you tomorrow. Until then, be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.